Hello and welcome to the Controller Talk podcast presented by Danfoss North America. Our goal is to bring you information about using Danfoss controls in the supermarket and warehouse industry, specifically in the U.S. and Canada. We're still doing these twice a month for now. You can catch these podcasts on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts, and it's also available through the Danfoss Ref Tools app. For the video version, check us out on the Danfoss North America YouTube page. Search for Controller Talk to see the collection. I'm Dave Yoder, along with Chris Brown. So, Chris, how's that University of Maryland football record at this point? Same way it starts out every year. Want to know. Want to know. Then it's all downhill. Uh, undefeated. Okay. Penn State's also undefeated. We are still in baseball season, sir. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just want everyone to know, all of our listeners, that your trusty host is in some severe pain today. He is uh, gutting this out at your, for your expense. So uh, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. The show must go on. We cannot stop. That's right. All right. So, Chris, uh, we are back for part two of talking about the System Manager SM800A. Last time we talked about Wi-Fi, Ethernet, and passwords. This time we're going to look at connection software options, emailing alarms, and other kind of goodies. All right. So, Chris, let's move ahead with some things that people need to know about these controllers. Yep. So last time we talked about the USB ports under that small door next to the touchscreen. Uh, I've had a few people ask about using a USB mouse or keyboard with these ports. I'd heard that with the 800A, it would not recognize the devices. And sure enough, based on my testing, it does not. Uh, if you plug them in, the controller does not seem to even know that they're in and plugged in. Uh, this is probably because the drivers are not installed for these devices, and I'm thinking there's probably a good reason for that. So, moving along here, those two USB ports are identical, um, so there should be no difference uh, if you're plugging into those. Yeah, the keyboard, that's not a question I had been asked yet on the 800A. I know we definitely have people use that on the 800, but right. hadn't gotten that one yet on the A, so it's yep. good to know. Yep. Um, and then, so, I mean... One of the other questions we're obviously going to get or people are going to think to themselves is, okay, I've got this 800A here. Now, how do I connect to it through a computer so I can see what's going on, program it and whatnot? And so the answer today, subject to change, but the answer today is you have three main options. Um, so option one for, for the guys that are coming up from the older 800 1.0 uh, is they're probably familiar with StoreView desktop software. And that's something that we can still use with the uh, 800A today with some caveats to it. Right. Uh, so we need to make sure in the 800A there's a setting in the comm screen for HTTP or HTTPS, which is the more secure of the two. Um, we cannot use StoreView Desktop with HTTPS enabled, only right. HTTP. So that that's one catch. Um, and then, I mean, store view, uh, some of the other things that we're going to get into with the other options or, or have the ability to do like firmware updates, pulling back logs, those things aren't available through store view desktop either. That's just going to be right. if we're in the browser or store view web options that we're about to touch on now. Yeah, true. And then the other things, uh, RMT that I want to mention. I mean, a lot of guys, if you're familiar with StoreView Desktop, you know that RMT exists and some of what that was used for um, with the older 800. That is not functional in any way, shape, or form with the 800A. So don't even bother opening that up if that's what you got. 
so that's store view desktop. Then kind of your second option right now is our uh, web browser option, store view browser, SVB, whatever name you want to use there. Um, so here we're looking at something that's a, a browser-based um, Google Chrome, Microsoft Edge, obviously being the most common too. This one's got to be a, a Chromium-based browser, which uh, maybe not a whole lot of value for you guys, but that's something on our end that we have to worry about. Here it can support either HTTP or HTTPS. Um, the HTTPS portion requires that the users loaded a cell sign certificate into the, each unit um, or else they're going to have some issues connecting to it. Um, but again, a lot of people today that we see are, are more so on the HTTP side that doesn't have that certificate involved. What we do get into with the HTTP though is there's some IP addresses that our web browsers, Chrome Edge, that they block now. Um, so you could be seeing warnings or, or just complete um, inability to connect sometimes depending on what IP address it is. These web browsers have identified certain IP addresses as a private IP and so they won't let you connect to them. So if you're using HTTP and you're getting some warnings in there when connecting through a browser, that's not necessarily a controller issue. That could just be that there's some blocks through the web browser that's preventing you from accessing that IP address. And then the last thing to mention here with StoreView Browser would be uh, files. So when we have updates to, even if it's just a web file, it's not just an update to the controller's operation, but if we're updating web files, um, then that's something that has to get loaded in with a new software version into the, the controller. And so we can't, through StoreView Browser, that would mean we have to wait for a software update to get that new feature on a web fix. So that's something else with browser that we'll see changes with StoreView Web I'm about to talk about now. Uh, so very, very, very near future, we should be releasing another tool called StoreView Web for the 800A, which is going to be our third option. Uh, it is uh, also going to start out in a web browser where you're actually typing in a, a link. So you're not typing the controller's IP address in, you're typing in a link. And then when you go to this, this URL, it'll give you some fields for what the controller IP is and what your username and password is to log in. This is a Danfoss-hosted website. Um, this is also going to be able to support HTTP or HTTPS. And there are some different options you'll see when you're trying to use this, this variation. So one is you'll just be on your web browser with this connection and get right in through the IP. And then you also may get some warnings going back to the HTTP security concerns where you may have to download a desktop version of StoreView Web. And so that'll give you that ability for some of these IP addresses that are a concern in a web browser to get in through this desktop version. Um, it is going to have some benefits over what we have today with browser and store view desktop and whatnot. And so one of the things is we're going to have the ability to back up and, and reload or restore controllers without having to hit each IP individually. It's a little bit of a time saver and prevents some confusion of thinking you're in one controller, but you're really in another when you're backing it up. And then the other thing's going to be updating this. So because this is kind of a, a backend hosted supported link that you're using that's actively managed by Danfoss, if we realize we need to fix something, then we can get right in there and do it. We don't have to wait for the next software update for that. 
So that'll uh, that'll be a big help, just getting quick fixes in place for the web connection into these units. Uh, and then last but not least, I uh, said three options. We, we'll mention this one too. Site service is something that some of the guys might also be familiar with. Um, as of right now, it still connects. Uh, I think it may be in a similar situation with StoreView browser, StoreView desktop, where we don't know how long they'll be supported for as far as active updates when we run into new situations or new problems. Um, but site service works today. You could even get in through a web browser on your phone and connect into the 800A as well if you needed to. Yeah, I tried yesterday um, just to see what would happen on my Android phone, of course. <laughs> and uh, yeah, hopped right on to, uh, this one happened to be uh, on a pu essentially a public IP address. Um, went in through site service, was able to see all the units, and then switched over to just a browser and was able to see essentially what looked like the whole dashboard. Yeah. So the whole dashboard on a phone is tiny, but you know, you can zoom in. I think I've had one or two guys that did a push to software update out to a unit using their cell phone. Okay. So gives you some options, that's for sure. Yep. So another question we get involves programming and offline simulation of the databases. So we'll run through a couple of notes about that. If you have a database from an AKC55 or a 255, you can use the AKA65 simulator option to bring it up to at least version 2.191 or higher first. Then you're gonna need an actual AKSM800 series controller and you can take that 255 file, load it into the 800 series controller, and then after it resets and comes back up, then you save that database file to a USB. Then you can load that file into your new 800A. Uh, if you're starting from scratch, then you have a few options. You can build your database in AKA65, which is still my favorite, as a 255 version 2191 or higher, then follow the same process that we just talked about. Um, you can also build your file in RMT as an 800 series controller if you choose, and then load that file right into the 800A with a thumb drive. So that would work too. Uh, so in case you're wondering, uh, what about simulating a database file that you've saved from an 800A? Well, right now, the only option you have is to load that file into an actual controller if you need to see what's going on with it. Uh, but I think that's going to change because that's an important option. And, um, and I think down the road here, we will have the ability to do that. Yeah, something we're pushing for. We wouldn't mind seeing that, that's right. for sure. Yep. Um, so changing gears here, one of the other things that can come into play with the 800A and, and that we were constantly being asked about prior to it was what about encrypted emails? We know we're sending out or can send out emails for alarms out of the controllers. And so people were constantly asking, when when are you going to have SSL encryption with your emails on your controller? And right. the answer was it's coming, but we don't have it yet until we got to the 800A where it's now part of that setup. Um, so uh, some ISPs, internet service providers require encrypted emails to be sent. Um, the 800A, you're going to see options for SSL and TSL email encryption um, with HTTPS being enabled there. 
And then the other option, I mean, uh, maybe there's some networks where that's not a, as high of a priority for, for some customers. But, um, I mean, the other options to go back to the way it was, you don't have to use these options. And so you could just use a, a standard SMTP email format, which doesn't have the same security levels to it. Um, but that's something that the controller can still support as well. Yep. So let's uh, run through a few other options uh, or new things that we should uh let people know about. So the controller can handle more history points than what we're used to. Um, and these are dependent on the type of point, but in general, you can log a thousand points rather than the old limit of 600. And we recently turned on the second Modbus port. Um, so that can be enabled and that one will let you do a kind of a custom setup. So you can go in and set baud rates and things like that. Uh, but that's going to be handy if you're doing several different types of Modbus nodes and now you need to have two different baud rates. Right. You can plan ahead, figure out what your baud rates are going to be on your different loops and then um, split those loops apart yeah. uh, and use the second port. Um, so... Pretty soon here, uh, we'll have the ability to have the, an option for the digital compressor. Uh, instead of picking VO for your digital compressor, you can pick digital, and then you'll just have an analog output. Looking forward to it. That's right. Yeah. It's been on the Christmas list for quite a while. A few years, maybe. That's right. Uh, and yeah. So then we can get into to upgrading the software a little bit. Um, and so I, I think it's much less painful than what we've had to deal with in the past. Yeah, true. Uh, and so, I, I mean, you're, you're talking a regular a standard firmware update, we're saying two, three minutes, and it's not multiple pieces of software or any anything really out of the ordinary you have to worry about there. It's a little more on par with maybe other devices you're, you use in general and when you have to do a software update. So the controller itself, there, there's two files we're, we're looking at here. So one is we've got the operating system in, in the unit. Maybe kind of think of it like a BIOS and a computer almost. But um, Danix is our operating system. It works off of uh, Linux OS. Um, so when you hear us talk about Danix, that, that's our operating system. That's something, it, it's a little more intensive in terms of the time it might take, but it's also not something that we're gonna be updating as frequently as we are the, the standard firmware application and the controllers. So the, the operating systems, usually if we see something from Linux that we have to address, not, I wanna add this new feature in. Um, so you're talking maybe once a year on average that you're gonna have to upgrade this. And that's not that it's, we're talking hours or anything like that. We're talking 10 minutes versus the two or three minutes for the firmware. So it's it's, it's not horrible. It's still only about 10 minutes to get this updated. Um, and then again, the standard application, about three minutes, three minutes to get that updated. Um, and on that end, it's considered a, a packaged version when you're updating it just because you're updating the application itself. The browser files, going back to connecting with StoreView browser, um, so if there's updates there. And then the case controllers, we know we've got EDF files that we, we call them, the, the files that allow the case controller to marry up with the system manager. A lot of times the upgrades will have files that um, are added in for new case controllers, new new models and whatnot. And so that's part of that package as well. So. That, up, that, that firmware update's really a package when you look at everything it entails. Uh, the Danix software, as far as the process itself, um, 
you're doing this through web browser or store view web, either one of those two, you're going to be able to get in and do your operating system Danix update with. Um, so you get in, you make your connection, and then once you get into your menu options, you're going to see a choice for either web connectivity or a locally stored file. So you can either actually tell the controller if it has network internet access to go out and look on the web for the update file. So the controller knows exactly where to look when you choose that option and it'll compare it against what's in there currently. And then you can push the latest update in. Um, or if you have a file that you, you want to load in or maybe your controller doesn't have network access yet, then you can choose option B for a locally stored file and it can pull that off of uh, somewhere on your computer and load it in that way. The And that's the Danix again, where it has to be through a PC to do that. When we're on the firmware application upgrade side, the one that's probably going to be a little more frequent of the two, um, there it can be the same way. So it can be through a computer where you're, you're getting in through a browser or store view web and, and using those same menu options. Or it can be on site with a USB drive that has the file right there on a USB. Um, so a, a few more options, a little more flexible as far as the firmware upgrade versus the Danix upgrade. Um, and again, it's just the, the, the simplicity and, and the shorter time period we're looking at. I mean, we know the 800, you could be talking 20 minutes to get a unit upgraded. And so seeing that down at three minutes now, um, I think it's just uh, less painful and it's it's smoother. And I think for us now, it's a lot more of a comfort level to say doing these remotely versus doing these on site is, is okay. And I think in the past, the older units, it was get somebody out there and upgrade it. We don't want to do it remotely because of the concerns of what might happen if it didn't go through properly. Um, and so, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much it on the software update side. Yep. So we've both done some remote upgrades and um, it's just a matter of making people aware of what's happening and having people in the area if they really need them and um, away you go. Yep. All right. So there are um, there are other options in the controller, of course. Um, one of those is um, you can do some uh, hazard analysis and critical control point logging or what people call HACCP typically. Um, you can turn on HACCP history points, and then those points will be included in a HACCP report if you want to do that. Yeah. Uh, and that's an international standard, so uh, you know we don't we don't have a huge push in the U.S. for that. Um, more warehouses than retail at this point, but you never know. And I think there's discussions about it now that I hear, um, but like you said, nothing really implemented. Yep. Yet. Right. So okay. I do have one other one that sure. I want to mention. Uh, the, the last thing is something you guys might run into, and, and maybe it's more so out-of-the-box startup initially. Maybe it is while you're trying to troubleshoot some things, but there was a, a feature added in one of the last firmware releases, the 9000154 is the version number, to be a little more specific about it. But the the feature is meant as a little bit of a safety function in the controller. And, and the situation where it's going to happen is if you're restarting or power cycling your controller too much in, in too short a period of time. Um, so 
basically what happens is if there's too many resets, I think it may be three and 10 minutes as a threshold, um, but you're going to see the controller go to a red screen. It's a completely blank red screen, and it's just going to sit there for upwards of 10 minutes. Um, it it's, thinks it's protecting the unit by doing this because it, it thinks those resets may be because of something going wrong. So if you guys are running into that, probably a little bit of patience because waiting 10 minutes while it racks down or while you're just starting things up, you might start to worry that maybe something's wrong with the controller. Um, you're not going to get any status update messages on the controller saying why it's sitting there on that blank, blank red screen. Um, but just something maybe to keep in the back of your mind is that if you're seeing that, it's not that something's wrong. It's because the controller felt like there was too many resets too quickly and that after that 10 minute period, it'll go back to the normal login screen and you should be okay at that point. Yep. So there are things going on in the background. You just can't really see what they are. But if you just give it 10 minutes, yep. um, chances are it'll boot back up and you'll be able to log in. Yeah. And if it's not after the 10 minutes, then yeah, we maybe we do have something. But that 10, 10 minute mark or so, that's when you should see it return if it's just the reset issue. Right. Okay. So that... Uh, pretty well brings things up to speed on the 800A. And of course, uh, there's going to be more questions come through for this. So uh, if you see something you want to know more about, just drop us an email. All right, Chris. So moving on to everyone's favorite is the uh, the the part of this episode where I uh, ask you these crazy questions. Um, my therapist says there's a flaw in my character that makes me uh, delight in this kind of stuff. But um, we'll keep asking the tough <laughs> questions just because I really like to find these obscure things for you. I've got to push whoever runs this thing to get you ask the questions instead of me. Yeah. So uh, let's uh, let's talk about the 800A since it's relevant. So um, we talked about the TLS email encryption option. I'm already going to fail this one. <laughs> go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> All right. Um, there'll be a bonus question at the end. See if you can redeem yourself. So, what is the uh, the version of the TLS that we use? What's that bonus question? <laughs> so you could pick a number between one point zero and ninety nine point nine. One point two. That is correct. No, <laughs> it is. It really is. Very good. You read that somewhere. Oh wow. Or a wild guess. Okay. Well, then we'll go to the next question. Wow. Um, what is the encryption type for the Wi-Fi option that we have in the controller? The encryption type for the Wi-Fi that we have in the controller. Yeah. Is this where I say I should stop while I'm ahead? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to tap out? <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's have it. What is it? You seem more frustrated than an Amish electrician over there. <laughs> That's an old Larry the Cable Guy joke. We have to give him credit. Uh, the encryption type is WPA2. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, which is pretty up to date. What does WPA stand for? No, no, we're okay. We were okay with the first answer <laughs> being right. <laughs> Wireless protected asset. Okay. I think I'm going from memory now, but I now think that's I'm right. Now I'm learning things. <laughs> yeah, good for you. That's why you're here. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about listener mail next. Um, so we're getting a good steady stream of spam in the mailbox, but nothing worth really mentioning. So we're going to do a little quick story instead of listener mail. But so sit back with a juice box or a snack and here we go. Um, so we recently had um, a host com problem with an 800A that I got, uh, uh, that I dealt with. 
And the issue was we had a controller out of five, we replaced one of them. There was uh, an issue we decided under warranty to replace it. The replacement was not the master unit, um, but it was put in and everything was working fine, except it wouldn't communicate on the host network. Hmm. The lights on the port were good. The IP addresses were good. It was in the correct port, which is the one up under the cover. Everything looked good, but it would not communicate. Um, in the field, they reset all the controllers they needed to reset, including this one, um, still would not communicate. So um, the next option was to uh, head on out there and have a look myself. And um, it turns out there was one minor thing that the mechanic could not do because of his access level. And that was to go into the host comm setup and press the little button that says initialize ethernet. Mm -hmm. So his code would not let him do that, but my code did let me do that. And as soon as I pressed that, everything came online. So the moral of the story here is that um, we have learned that the initialize ethernet button is not the same as just resetting the controller. Mm. There's something goes on in the background there, some fairy dust and magic, and um, that's all it needed was just to press the initialize ethernet button to get everything talking. That is a good one to keep in the back pocket. That's, that's right. Sure. All right. So if you'd like to drop us an email with a suggestion for topics to cover or a question or comment, you can always email us at controllertalknorthamerica at danfoss.com. Thanks for listening. Our studio and video engineer is Michael, don't call me Mike Beckerman. Our audio engineer extraordinaire is Raul Garcia. Our second studio and video engineer is Maria. No last name, just like Cher, Madonna, and Beyonce. Just a first name. Until next time, for Chris Brown, I'm Dave Yoder. Stay cool. <laughs>